morning's talk really started with this book here. This, this book was the Sunday Times book of the year last year. And with the end in mind was written by a doctor who specializes in care of the dying. And she'd come to the end of her career. And as she looked at how people died, she felt she wanted to share her experiences. And one of the things that she drew out was that the people who died well were the people who prepared for their death, the people who anticipated it and who were ready for it. And that was her secular message, if you like, to have the end in mind, to live and to die well. But, but that got me thinking, how as a Christian should I be preparing to live and to die well? How do I get to the point that St. Paul was able to get to where he was able to say, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And hopefully the passage that we're going to look at this morning will help us to get to that point where we can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Psalm 90 was written by Moses as he was approaching death. Death of himself, death of his friends, he also was facing death of his hopes and his dreams. And before we actually look at the psalm, we're going to look a little bit at those circumstances as to how Moses ended up in that place and ended up reading, writing Psalm 90. And God had brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And God was bringing them on a journey to the promised land. And on that journey, they had grumbled again and again. And Moses had pleaded with God again and again. And God had forgiven them again and again. And now, they are at the point of entering the promised land. God has got them out of Egypt. God has miraculously taken them across the Red Sea. God has brought them all the way around the Sinai Peninsula. And there you can see that up at the top of the arrow on the right-hand side, they are just on the border of the promised land. They are about to enter it. And they send in the spies, and the spies come back. And 10 of the 12 spies say it's too difficult. It is too dangerous. The people are too scary. And the children of Israel are devastated. Numbers chapter 14 tells us what happened next. Can I invite you to stand for the public reading of this part of God's Word? And I've selected out the key verses on the, slide, on the screen, so please stand. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and, said, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Remember that phrase when we get to the end of this reading, If only we had died in this wilderness. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. Moses said to the Lord, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from this time, the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. Your bodies will fall in this wilderness. You will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you.
please take your seats. Your bodies will fall in this wilderness. You will suffer for your sins and know what it's like to have me against you. All of Moses' generation would die in the desert. They would never enter that promised land that they were right beside. They would end up wandering through the wilderness. The hope and the dreams of returning to their homeland after 400 years of slavery, their hope of getting rest from slavery, that was all gone. And all that remained for them was to wander around in this desert until they died. And that included Moses himself. He too would die in the desert. Let's turn now, after that long introduction, to Psalm 90 and to see what Moses wrote in that context. And the verses will be on the screen. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The first thing that Moses teaches us in this psalm is to start with God. Moses does not start with the problem. Instead, he starts with something that is much more real, much more solid, much more constant. He starts with God. God is from everlasting to everlasting. God was around before any of these desert mountains were made. God is the one unwavering, unshakable certainty in all of life. Not only that, he is their dwelling place. God was their dwelling place and security down through all generations. God was the dwelling place of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob in their wanderings. And God would be the dwelling place of the children of Israel as they wandered around in their desert. Moses was absolutely certain of his God. He was absolutely certain that in whatever circumstances, and these were hard circumstances, God would be their dwelling place. The question I asked myself, and I give it to you as a challenge, is what is my first response in time of trouble? Do I start by turning to God? Do I acknowledge that he is everlasting and that he is my dwelling place, my safe place? Because that is how Moses starts this psalm. Let's move on to the next section. Listen to the words and follow them on the screen or in your Bible. How do they sound to you? What sense do you get of how Moses is feeling? You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We're consumed by your anger terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. 
All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. My strongest feeling reading those words was of despair. Numbers 14 had explained why that generation of the children of Israel would die in the desert. And here in Psalm 90, Moses picks up that theme of human frailty. They are like dust that is blown away. They are like sleep that soon ends. They are like desert grass that quickly withers. There is nothing robust or secure about them, especially compared to this everlasting God for whom a thousand years are like a day. They could be gone in a day. And the days that they have are filled with suffering and the consequences of God's wrath. They're consumed. They're terrified. They moan. Their days are filled with trouble and sorrow. Not a happy picture. Yet it rings true for many people. Life on earth is brief, it is hard, and it ends in death. This print was recently given to someone in a stressful situation. It can be so easy for our eyes to be focused on the problem. And this message of this print was to hear God gently speaking to us as his children, encouraging us to peel our eyes away from the difficulty and to look up, child. That is actually what Moses is doing in these verses. Let's look at the verses again. Only this time we will listen and look for God in the verses because he is there. Moses' first step was to start with God. His second step is to look for God in the hard stuff. And that's the message of Moses in these verses. God is in the hard stuff. And I've highlighted the key phrases. You turn people back to dust. You sweep people away in the sleep of death. We are consumed by your anger, terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. Yes, Moses acknowledged that he and his whole generation would die in the desert. Yet God is the one who says, return to dust, you mortals. God is the one who sweeps them away in the sleep of death. And yes, there is punishment for sin, yet God is central here as well. It is God who consumes the children of Israel by his anger. It is under God's wrath that they pass their days. Moses was recognizing God's sovereignty in all that was going on in his life. He recognized that God was sovereign over the days of his life, the days that he would hear those words return to dust, over the timing of his death. God was sovereign over punishment for his sin. God was sovereign over his suffering. Moses is not the only one in the Bible who recognized God's sovereignty 
over these three areas of suffering, of punishment for sin, and of death. There is someone that the book of Hebrews describes as greater than Moses, and that is Jesus. Like Moses, Jesus recognized his father's sovereignty, his father's sovereignty over him in his suffering, in his punishment for our sin, and in his death. Jesus recognized that the Father was sovereign even in the cross. And Jesus did not need that poster to remind him to look up a child. In his suffering, it was to his Father that he looked. And as he was nailed to the cross, he looked up to his Father and said, into your hands I commit my spirit. We need to remember to look for God in the hard stuff. And now we reach the heart of the stam. Up to now, Moses encouraged us to start with God, not the problem. To look for God in the problem. And now he encourages us to fear God, not the problem. To fear God and not death and the brevity of life. We read in verses 11 and 12, if only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Moses said, if only we knew the power of your anger. Moses had seen the power of God's anger. Moses had seen the awful plagues in Egypt. Moses had seen Pharaoh's entire army wiped out in the Red Sea. Moses had seen God's wrath against the children of Israel in their sin, and he wants to see more of it. He wants to learn how to fear God even more. The scary thing is that we actually have a much fuller, better view of God's wrath than Moses ever had, because we can look at the cross And at the cross, we truly see the power of God's anger because the father was able to punish his own son. So great was his anger with sin. So at the cross, we stand in fear and in awe of this holy God. At the cross, we can join in that old song that says, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Sometimes it causes me to tremble. Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Sometimes it causes me to tremble. Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Moses chose to tremble before his God, to fear him rather than fear death. He chose to accept his mortality. He chose to number his days aright. And by doing this, he gained a heart of wisdom. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that is exactly the conclusion Moses comes to in these verses. Moses says, more or less, A healthy fear of our awesome God is the beginning of wisdom. A healthy fear of our awesome God is the beginning of wisdom. 
it's important to emphasize that we do not tremble and fear God as people whose sins are not forgiven. For those whose sins are not forgiven, the Bible tells us that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But for those who enjoy God's forgiveness, our fear is rather a healthy reverence and awe at our most holy God. We do not need to fear anything else, even death, when we give God his rightful and awesome place. C.S. Lewis captured this awesome fear. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Mr. Beaver is talking about Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus in the story. And Mr. Beaver says, safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Moses knew that his God was not safe, but that he was good. So what does Moses do now? Where does he turn? What is the outcome of him learning to fear God? Amazingly, this true, healthy, reverent fear of God leads him to true enjoyment of God. From reverent fear, Moses moves to real enjoyment of God. Let's read the rest of the psalm, and as we read, listen for reasons to enjoy God. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In this final section, Moses encourages us to enjoy God to enjoy our God of compassion and love in verses 13 to 15, our God who does splendid deeds in verse 16, and our God who shows us favor in verse 17. His first focus is on uh, God of compassion and love. Moses is completely aware of his sinful nature. Moses has learned to fear God who punishes sin, and in response, he asked God to relent and show compassion. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Earlier, we heard Moses using very similar words in Numbers 14, where he says, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people. And God did relent. God did show compassion. God did forgive sin. We too can ask God to relent and show us compassion. We too can enjoy forgiveness of God because on the cross, Jesus took the wrath for our sin. Through Jesus' death, we can enjoy God's compassion. The Rolling Stones sang that they can't get no satisfaction. They needed to read this psalm and especially verse 14 which describes where we can find true satisfaction. And it's in God's love. Satisfy us in the morning 
with your unfailing love. Then we can sing for joy and be glad all our days. And even in the middle of trouble and sorrow, we can still enjoy God in his love and his compassion. Secondly, Moses encourages us to enjoy God as we see all his deeds and all his splendor. It is good to remind ourselves of God's splendid deeds, both to us and to previous generations. Through the Bible, we, throughout the Bible, we see examples of people putting down markers, setting up memorials, ensuring that they remember the times that God acted for them, ensuring that those deeds are celebrated by them and that they're then passed on to the next generation. Where have you seen God act in your life? And how will you choose to remember and celebrate that deed? How will you pass that on to the next generation? How do you choose to enjoy this God of deeds and of splendor? Finally, we can enjoy God's favor resting on us. Moses prays, may the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. What a strange request to end the psalm on and to emphasize it by asking for it twice. How do we make sense of this? Was Moses looking for a personal legacy in his death? The key question to ask is, what work of his hands was Moses looking to be established? And the Bible actually gives us the answers because in Deuteronomy, we read that no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do. The work that Moses wanted to see established, that was the very work that the Lord had sent him to do. Ephesians tells us that like Moses, we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So if Moses was, asked, was able to ask God for the works of his hands to be established, we too can ask for the works of our hands to be established because these are works that God has prepared for us to do. And what a wonderful truth that in this we can enjoy God's favor resting on us. As we look back at the whole psalm, what can we learn about how we should live? Firstly, start with God. Moses did not begin with a problem. He started with his everlasting God, who was his dwelling place. Secondly, look for God in the hard stuff. Life is brief. It is full of trouble and sorrow. Yet Moses was able to see God present and in control of every one of those circumstances. Thirdly, fear God. Just look at Calvary and see God's wrath against sin. That healthy fear is the beginning of wisdom. Fourthly, enjoy God. We can enjoy God's compassion. We can find satisfaction in his unfailing love. We can remember his splendid deeds we can feel the warmth of his favor resting on us. What a wonderful, complete picture of God that Moses gives us in this psalm. This is Moses' testimony in his life as he faces death 
So how would he say that we should die? I think his answer would be the exact same way that you live. Start with God, look for God, fear God, and enjoy God. How do we respond to what we've heard from Moses in this psalm? Here are just two possible ways. One is personal and the other is public. Firstly, with each of your cups of tea or coffee tomorrow, reflect on each of these four approaches Moses took to God. With your first cup, pause and start with God. This is probably the most important lesson for me. I could so easily jump out of bed and into the rigors of the day. And yet I need to stop. I need to pause and start my day with God. By the time of your second cup, life's pressures have arrived. Pause to look for God in them. When it comes to your third cup, that is time to reflect on our awesome God who is to be feared, who holds all of our days in his hands. What about the last cup of the day? Sit back and enjoy all that God has given you in his son. A second possible response. Moses lived among his people anticipating his death. Moses made the choice to live looking to God. How does this psalm encourage me to live alongside others? I can bring hope. I can bring hope of a God who wants to be involved in the trouble and mess of their lives. I can bring joy, the joy that is given to me new every morning as I live out the days that God chooses to give me. I can bring contentment, contentment and satisfaction that comes from God and is completely counter to our culture of discontent. When dad heard the topic of my sermon, he sent me the lyrics of an old song. I think it was his challenge to see if I could fit this into the sermon. But here are the words. I'm tired of living and scared of dying. I'm wounded by my sinning and drowning in my crying. I'm tired of living and scared of dying. What would Moses' response be to those words? I think he would say that God's message for the believer is the exact opposite. It's not, I'm tired of living and scared of dying. It's there's joy in living and no fear in dying. Or possibly we could rephrase it to what St. Paul said that we quoted at the start. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I think that's the message we take from Psalm 90.